0: You're listening to the Business for Good podcast, the show where you'll hear inspirational stories about companies making money by solving some of the world's most pressing problems. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and I'm glad you've joined us. Hello, friend. You are listening to episode number 124 of the Business for Good podcast. You probably already know. Why coral reefs are so important. After all, they're home to a quarter of all marine life. But do you know about seagrass? I thought that I did, but I didn't really know as much as I thought. Because seagrass not only provides habitat for aquatic life, which I knew, but it accounts for a whopping 10% of all oceanic carbon storage, despite only taking up less than a single percent of the entire seafloor. It also produces oxygen, cleans the ocean, protects against coastal erosion, and much, much more. That's the good news. Sadly, the bad news is that humanity is destroying both coral reefs and seagrass forests. Oceanic warming, acidification that we are causing is taking a major toll, and so is our pollution and our fishing and other human activities. Because of us, the world's already lost half of all corals and a third of all seagrass just in the past few decades. But what if humanity could be as effective at growing reefs and seagrass as we are at destroying them? Proving that is the goal of ReefGen, a startup pioneering not a SAS model, software as a service, but rather a RAS model, robots as a service. ReefGen has invented robots that can navigate marine environments with precision and plant baby grass and baby corals at rates that are orders of magnitude faster than a human ever could. And there is a business model in this RAS program. Not only are companies that want to pay for eco-offsets willing to pay to robotically plant new reefs and grass beds, but so do companies that economically depend on a vibrant ocean ecosystem for their livelihoods. ReefGen CEO Chris Oaks is with us here. He's a marine biologist, turned venture capitalist, turned entrepreneur, and he is going to talk about the company's trajectory its pilot trials in Hawaii, California, Indonesia, and Wales, and how it's going to scale in order to turn the tides for our planet. I think you will be as impressed as I was with Chris's knowledge and what they're doing, and you too will be hoping for their success. Chris, welcome to the Business for Good podcast.
1: Thanks, Paul. It's awesome to be here.
0: I am so glad because it's really great to have somebody who I know listens to the show to be a guest on the, on the show. So it's always really a great honor for that. So congratulations on making it on. And I'm eager to talk about how that came to be. For sure.
1: Well, I guess I'm, I'm Chris Oaks. I'm the CEO of ReefGen, and we're building automated solutions that will really mechanize planting operations in the aquatic environment. Um, All right starting in seagrass and corals. Um, but we see uh, big opportunities just in, in nearshore operations.
0: OK, cool. Well, uh, let's get into that. So first of all, you're talking about robotic planting of seagrass and corals. So first of all, what is the problem? Like, why do we need to plant any of them in the first place?
1: Well, as a lot of folks have probably seen in the headlines, especially with the super warm water in Florida this past summer, we've got an El Nino event coming on. Um, We've lost about half our corals on the planet since about 1950. And we're on track to lose 90% of those corals by 2050. And corals grow really slowly. And it's going to take a lot of effort to mitigate the damage caused by that loss. Coral reefs are connected to, oh, about about a billion people get their protein uh, from coral reefs and about 500 million jobs are created uh, from coral reefs alone. But coral reefs don't uh, exist in isolation. Everyone likes the colorful fish, but there are other ecosystems out there that are super important. And one of those ecosystems is our, well, they're seagrass meadows. And seagrass meadows are, if you think manatees or dungongs, they're these nice, gentle ecosystems, but they are the nurseries for oh, about 20% of our commercial fisheries. So all the baby fish start there. So if we want to have healthy fisheries in the ocean, we also have to think about the seagrass meadows and the baby fish then swim out to the coral reefs. So these, these ecosystems are interconnected. And, so we've yeah. lost about of 40% of our seagrass meadows on the planet. So the plight of seagrass meadows and coral reefs are are significant.
0: You mentioned warming waters, Chris, is that the primary reason why seagrass and coral reefs are dying or are there other factors that are also aiding in that, in that uh, murder there?
1: Oh, well, warming water doesn't help. Ocean acidification doesn't help. Pollution and overfishing are also parts of the problem coastal development. It's it's hard to have society without impact. And so I'm really interested in how do we build good businesses that can help restore the world to a to a, a better place. Mm-hmm. Um and and ReefGen's really focused on doing that.
0: I'm eager to get into how ReefGen is doing that, but first I just want to ask about something that you said, Chris. So you said you know it's hard to have society without having impact. But you also said that you know, really, uh, apparently, from 1950 to the present is when we've had huge, huge losses. And needless to say, we had society for thousands of years prior to 1950. Was the problem only that we had a lot fewer humans on the planet prior to 1950? Or is there something else about what we're doing now? Is it is it just there's too many of us? Or, excuse me, and or is it something unique about what we're doing that people in the past didn't do?
1: Well, I think the industrial scale of extraction changed. After World War II, we saw major declines in fisheries because we got really good at taking things out of the ocean. And so that's a big difference. More people, we've gotten really good at taking things out of the ground and out of the ocean. And so I want to apply that same mechanized approach to putting things back into the ocean.
0: Interesting. Okay, cool. So, you know, we had on in 2018, and we'll link to this in the show notes at businessforgoodpodcast.com. Coral Vita. Do you know those guys? So, yeah, Sam and Gator. Yeah, yeah. So we had Sam on, and it was a it was a okay. riveting episode, um, because what they were doing is essentially breeding corals at at the time. Now, you know, this is you know five years ago, so I will have to check in with them and see if they're still doing the same thing. But at the time, their business model was essentially building, or excuse me, breeding corals in captivity, so to speak, like uh, not in the ocean, so that they would grow like fifty times faster than corals just out in nature do, and then they could plant them along reefs to or barriers to try to create a new reef much faster than they would generate on their own. But you're doing something very different than that, right? So I'd love to know like how do you differ from Coral Vita and is there some collaboration between what you're doing and what they're doing that could be had?
1: Sure, it's it's a great uh, question and we're all working on the same challenge. We're just working on different parts of of solving that challenge. We need to have the biology figured out. We need to have seed stock. So baby corals, especially breeding corals that are heat tolerant and can survive more effectively in warmer waters. That's super important. And there are coral nurseries all over the world. What we do is we enable the outplanting part of these operations where you breed the corals, you do it in a nursery, but then you need to put it out into the world. And divers can do that drill a hole into a dead coral, take a coral plug with a live baby coral that's grown in the nursery, and then plug that into the dead coral and wait for a period of time. Corals grow fairly slowly, but wait for a period of time and you begin to um, put the reef back in order. These things take a long time. And what we're trying to do is scale up the outplanting component. By our estimate, it takes a diver, oh, and I'm a diver. <laughs> I've been diving my whole life. I've done this. Uh, it takes you know five to seven minutes to go through that whole operation where you get the drill out. You're moving around.
0: To pr- five to seven minutes to plant one baby coral. It, it can take that long,
1: yeah. And so you take the plug, you drill into it, you steady yourself, you you, you put the plug in, you make sure it's there, and then you swim on to the next one. That, that takes some time. We have been able to take that mechanism of action and build a robot that can do that cycle in 15 seconds. Now, I'll talk about seagrass too. So we have the plight of corals, uh, we have the plight of seagrass. It takes a team of divers up, up to you know, four weeks at times, or biologists that are stomping through the mud, <laughs> to plant roughly a hectare of seagrass. And usually we're planting seeds by hand we've engineered a robot and it deployed out in wales just this past summer and we're able to do that in about 70 times 75 times faster we're able to plant about a hectare in in less than a week we can we did a fifth of a hectare in a day um which is really if we think about the scale of loss we're talking about five million hectares of seagrass meadows and just countless <laughs> millions of hectares of, of corals lost, and so the scale of, of outplanting that's needed is so far beyond what manual labor is going to be able to do, even to, to stop the bleeding. It's it's just massive amounts of, of outplanting effort that would take you know just
0: thousands and <laughs> thousands of people. For sure. Now, I I want to be clear, Chris, you said that you just did this in Wales, and you mean W-A-L-E-S, not W-H-A-L-E-S, not inside of Wales, the, the cetacean, but Wales as in Great Britain. And what happened? Like, So you're planting seagrass out there. Who paid for you to do this?
1: So this was done in partnership with a philanthropic effort and Project Seagrass, our partner in Wales. Project Seagrass is focused on restoring seagrass meadows around Wales and the, and the UK broadly. The plight of seagrass in that part of the world is is significant. Some estimates suggest 90% loss of seagrass uh, meadows in, in kind of the British Isles. And so um, we're really looking at how do we restore the ecosystems there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of ways to Plant seagrass. You can plant the seeds. You can plant shoots. You can take bags called hessian bags and and put those into the uh, into the sand or mud. We're focused on. Planting seeds, we've got a seed planting robot, and we've also developed a shoot planting robot, which was piloted also on
0: Catalina Island a couple of years ago. And for those not initiated, Catalina Island is off of California, so you're, uh, yes, you're, so you're in the Pacific Ocean, you're in the Atlantic Ocean, and that's pretty cool. So just, just to be clear, Chris, what Reef innovation is is the invention of these robots that can plant seagrass or corals dramatically faster than a human could. What is the business model though like so you know you just did this in Wales you said that it was funded by somebody engaged in philanthropy but reefgen isn't a charity it's a for-profit corporation right so what is the plan on how the company will actually eventually make money by getting people to pay it to utilize those robots
1: sure it's it's the most important question for any startup who's the customer <laughs> our customers are the project developers and restoration firms that are out doing the work. They're out doing the work manually in uh, by and large. And we are bringing robots as a service to the restoration and project developers.
0: I, I like that. R-A-S, R-A-S robots RAS. as a service. That's yeah. good. I have, I've not heard of RAS before. Um, okay. So you're a RAS startup, uh, no offense to the SaaS startups, but <laughs> I, I, like for somebody like me who doesn't know a lot about you know, this topic, like you're saying that there are already people out there who are doing this. Are are they doing it by because of philanthropic reasons, or is there actually a profit motive? Is there somebody out there paying them to do this?
1: Yeah, well, understanding the restoration economy is like the way I I try to think about this. And there are a number of factors that create demand for restoration. And that includes regulatory mechanisms, public procurement. So municipalities will actually realize that hey if we spend a dollar we get 1.6 dollars for example in ecosystem services for nearshore habitat restoration and that will bring the fisheries back it will bring employment back and so it's a force multiplier
0: because i could see like i mean it's kind of a tragedy of the commons problem right like you just have like nobody is really that incentivized to restore Like no individual company is that incentivized to restore, whereas everybody is incentivized to take right to extract to take fish out of the ocean, and so the question then becomes like, who is it who wants restoration? Well, I could see, you know, the tourism economy benefiting from coral reefs, right? So you could see like the resorts that are on the beach, maybe they would pay to have coral reefs restored that have died around them, right? Is that one potential customer for Reef Gen?
1: It, it is one we've we've done some voice of the customer studies. Sadly, th- that's not looking like the primary source of a customer base today. Ho- hopefully, that changes, but it's it is a tragedy of the commons situation.
0: Mm-hmm. So then, if it's not the tourism economy then it's the people who are looking to fish right like they like the the folks who want to engage in fishing and so are the companies that are in the fishing industry paying for restoration right now is that part of their business expense
1: The the source of a lot of restoration projects can be somewhat opaque. What I can say is in working with our now commercial partners, we see big companies. There are large cement companies, large mining companies that have operations that are paying for restoration efforts. Private investments by corporations, Mm -hmm. I think Mars,
0: you know, it has has
1: the million, you know, plant a million
0: corals initiative. So there are are companies- All right, these are basically offsets for them. Then they're right. Is that that's what I'm that's what I'm hearing? Generally, yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because that that's similar. You probably are familiar with the company Seed Drone, mm-hmm. and so we had their CEO Grant on. We'll link to his episode in businessforgoodpodcast.com. dot com. But in short. You know, what they were doing is trying to do what you're doing, but on land, right? They're trying to automate the planting and reforestation of areas that have been deforested or have had major forest fires and so on by drones that go around and plant much faster or at least drop seeds much faster than humans can go around and put them in the ground. And so it seems like what you're doing is kind of similar to them, except obviously underwater and their big technology is the drones and the software associated with the drones. And that's the same for you guys, right? Like the innovation here is the robot. And so I, I saw you guys have filed for at least one patent on your robotic technology. And tell us a little bit about that, because, you know, you're a marine biologist, you're not a roboticist. But how many people work at ReefGen and how many of them are roboticists who are actually driving this core innovation that brings value for the company?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh- Great question, and I, I appreciated that particular podcast. And I, I just have to, to give a shout out to, to Grant as a as someone who is focused on the aquaculture problem, looking at aquaculture feed alternatives to to wild caught ground up fish. I, I got my you know career going yeah. in that space as well. So
0: interesting. <laughs> two yeah, and two so guys focused on
1: uh, aquaculture feed got into uh, drones for, for <laughs> habitat uh, restoration. So I love the parallels.
0: Um, yeah, that's two, pretty interesting. I, you know, I had forgotten until you mentioned. That but we did talk in that episode about prior to to his company he was involved in that in, in that other industry that you just mentioned so yeah that's quite interesting okay well all right so let's hear about it how many people work there how many are engineers or roboticists as opposed to a biologist like you
1: yeah it it's it's a it's a material question by I have one other biologist on staff so there's two marine biologists on staff and the rest of the team are ocean roboticists and ocean engineers we're we're a small team right now we're still a pre-seed company we've been primarily grant funded to date i've got 6 engineers on staff but what i want to give a shout out to is the good machine studio that reefgen came came out of and the good machine studio is a venture builder studio run by dave solomon and then the founder of reefgen is tom chi and so the company emerged from Good Machine. We're still housed in the Good Machine studio. And so we have all the advantages of the engineering staff. We've got all the machine tools. I've got the equivalent of a team of, of about 12 um, with with those resources, literally next, like <laughs> mm. I can shout cool. at them. So it, it's really helping us be a lean company, move fast, build prototype and everything just uh, in San Francisco.
0: Very cool. That's very cool. And so let me ask then about you, because you've got these dozen or so folks with whom you are working, but you are relatively new in the CEO slot. You've only been there for a few months now. And so it's uh, you must have had a pretty interesting life, Chris, because you're a marine biologist who somehow got into venture capital, who then found himself as the CEO of a startup working to restore oceanic environments. So, first how did a marine biologist get into the world of VC?
1: Well, a long circuitous route <laughs> for sure. One of my favorite times in my career was was when I was actually a scientific diver getting paid to count fish, do seagrass restoration and monitoring work in Southern California. But my focus was always the business of biology. I wanted to figure out how to make money while doing something that's going to drive conservation in a more effective way. I got into aquaculture early on in my career, looking at sustainable sources of supply of a natural marine product used in pharmaceuticals. My uncle was doing aquaculture for most of his career, so I got exposure to that through him and am forever grateful. With that, I started to really get into biotech and look at how do you develop products that will be adopted. We had a sustainable source of supply of of this underwater snail blood, but the market ultimately didn't, didn't let... We didn't enter the market because of clinical trial failures. So I took a pause and said, you know what, I want to go learn business. And I entered the corporate world. I stayed for about seven years at LabCorp, which is a Big medical diagnostic company. And I was looking at the failures that we had experienced with the vaccine technology and realized that companion diagnostics and diagnostic technology may unlock the, the vaccine technology. I also wanted to learn how to get paid and make money. So I kind of earned my stripes became a manager, got corporate training, got to see corporate best practices, but then realized, you know what, I'm an ocean guy, I got to come back to that. And had a good opportunity to join the firm Liquid Robotics back in 2013, prior to their exit with Boeing, and got to see what a scaling ocean robot company looks like from the inside, looking at their fisheries and aquaculture product line and really helping develop that out with the engineers. So, Then started to do the rounds in product management, commercialization, and made a jump to the world of synthetic biology after liquid robotics focused on alternative protein sources for aqua feeds with the company nova nutrients which which when we met paul we you know we were we were talking yeah. about yeah right i, I making food that. and feed from co2 which is which is just super cool and i i realized that my place is in the startup world i really like being an operator but had an opportunity to to team up with after getting regulatory approval for our for our product, its use in animal feed. I had an opportunity to team up with with the venture builder studio, Deep Science Ventures, where we were focused on standing up companies from scratch, using first principles to identify problems, deconstruct problems, and develop the solutions, and then recruit and hire the founder entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial-minded PhDs. And I love doing that we helped stand up a, a number of companies in the agriculture sector the aquaculture space aqua feed space but I really like being an operator and so when the opportunity came up with reef gen I, I like building teams leading teams and it just seemed like a fit so I'm fortunate enough to be at the helm I'm I'm proud and honored to to be working with 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 Dave, Manu, Maddie, Justin, Nate, (laughs) Tom, the the whole team.
0: So it's quite a lot of chapters to your career, Chris, like the the tide has turned for you in many different directions. And now you are the captain of this new ship. You mentioned that it's still pre-seed, largely grant funded. When will you start bringing in venture capital? Like when do you want to actually start scaling this? So you're not doing pilot runs in Wales or Catalina Islands, but where you're really developing something that can uh, essentially do much more than what you're doing right now is, I guess, how I'd put it.
1: We we are right at the cusp. I'm really excited to share that we've closed uh, our first commercial contract with a major project developer on the East Coast. Um, Congratulations! It, it should it should run for ten years, and, and there are guarantees of millions of dollars of revenue each year, plus funding for the engineering work. So we are off to the races right now.
0: Okay, that's pretty that's pretty enviable. Guarantees of millions of dollars of revenue. Okay, uh, I can see why somebody would be interested in that to
1: to really help expand the top line revenue of of our commercial partner. Um, the bottlenecks are planting speed, and so if you can. If we can increase the planting speed, we can increase the scale of restoration projects that can be serviced. I will it's, say, it's, it, we'll, it
0: sounds like you're like you're not going to name who this partner is, but is it someone who is in the fishing space or is somebody who's just seeking to get offsets to uh, do this planting? Like, what category of customer is this?
1: So the customer is a project developer. We are so they their customers are. Municipalities, corporations, other philanthropic groups. So they handle the permitting, the project planning. We bring the robot to do the service. Now, with that said, we are also actively raising a seed round. It's open. I've got first money uh, coming in in the coming days, which is super exciting. But we are at that point in 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 a in a startup and a startup's life cycle of raising capital to expand the team, to be able to service more markets.
0: That is exciting. Congratulations. Well, if I don't know the kind of capital that you're raising, like when you're talking about this seed round, like, are you looking to raise seven figures, eight figures? What do you need in order to get off to the races?
1: We're looking at a $3 million seed round right now that will help us deliver on the development timelines that we, 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 want to and need to
0: in both the coral space and the seagrass space interesting okay I learned in in researching for this episode that these baby corals are not called seeds but I think it's called a planula is that right? I think of it as coral plug. Coral plug okay <laughs> um, from from
1: the from the from the robot's perspective we install the plug and then got it
0: Okay. Well, the, the reason I was saying it is because instead of a seed round, you might be able to generate more interested in calling it a plug round. And I've thought about this because in my own world of where I work at the Better Meat Co. doing fungal fermentation, I often wish that we would have called our seed round a spore round to be a little bit more fun- fungally correct. Uh, but in your case, you have a chance to call it a plug round right now, Chris. So well, if I folks want to... Is it too late? No.
1: No, no, it's not. Not too late. Okay. I would welcome would welcome, right. uh, would welcome um, folks that are interested. There's much room for
0: uh, improvement in, in uh, all, uh, very all nice. things that are nice. a pun. <laughs> uh, very nice. What a fun guy. Okay, so if folks want to get involved in the plug round for Reef Gen, yes. they can go to your website, which we will include it on in the show notes for this episode at businessforgoodpodcast.com. But importantly, Chris, let me ask you you haven't been involved in lots of different ventures in lots of different areas of your life. I presume that even though you are now running ReefGen, that you have ideas for other types of companies that you wish existed. So if you could snap your fingers and have somebody listening to you on this show right now, start their own company doing something, what do you think that that person should do?
1: Oh, well, there's so many things to do. <laughs> One of the things that we see as a need in the um seagrass restoration space is the production of seeds and shoots and so folks that are looking at uh, restoration markets there there is there is a need for for the production for the aquaculture side of things seagrass nurseries are important there and, and I'll just I'll just sort of <laughs> cite something interesting that's being uh, done with with seagrass seeds. There's uh, Chef Leon at a Ap- Poniente restaurant in Cadiz, Spain, who's making a really cool risotto out of seagrass seeds. And so, if we think about the future of food on the planet, that we have, it's not just rice <laughs> that grows in the water. If oceans are going to rise and we're going to have a lot of salty water to to contend with. Well, if we can change our food system and work with things that grow in the ocean nicely, that, that could help improve our food security in the long run.
0: Okay, very cool. So if somebody listening, you were thinking about starting your own company that might do some good, think about doing your own seagrass nursery, and you can sell those seeds, not only to companies like ReefGen, perhaps, but also to chefs who want to use something in replacement of rice. Uh, you're going to have to grow something that's heat tolerant, though, because, you know, as you mentioned, Chris, earlier, like it's not good enough just to plant coral plugs that are going to have the same problems why the original coral reefs died, right? Like in the same thing with seagrass. If, if acidic water and warming water killed them in the first place, presumably these babies are going to have to be super tolerant. So you've got to have some type of a breeding program that's going to make them heat tolerant, that can have uh, the proper pH, like they got to be able to withstand acidic environments. So you're, you're really kind of breeding a brave new world of seagrass and corals here as well. So it's not just uh, the seagrass nursery, you got to come up with the breeding programs too.
1: And and I say that because I think of, of what Grant talked about and the drone seed experience of of eventually having vertical integration where
0: the outplanting requires the seed stock and the biology.
1: We're focused right. on the hardware today.
0: Yeah, right. And and yeah, and Grant acquired another company that was providing the That's seeds right. that, that they do. So maybe that'll be in ReefGen's future. So if you start your own seagrass breeding company, ReefGen will be your natural <laughs> acquirer in the future. Um Okay, cool. So finally, Chris, I want to ask you about resources that you think somebody else might benefit from. Are there any books or anything else that you have consumed in your or experienced in your life that have been particularly helpful for you that you think if you're going to start your own company or even join one of these socially conscious companies, you ought to read or experience this?
1: Well, I really liked Tom Eisenman's Why Startups Fail and the sort of the way he talks about a startup life life cycle how he describes idea and conceptualization commitment and planning development and launch and then growth and scaling he really gets into what it takes to to build a a startup and what to keep our, our eyes on so it's not to become a zombie firm right there's so many companies that just don't quite they make it, but they don't quite thrive. And I think being able to recognize that is is an important part of any entrepreneur's journey. And then I yeah, I mean that that's 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 one of my recent reads. Cool.
0: Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll include that in the show notes for this episode, why startups fail. It looks and like then, you were about to recommend one more thing though. I don't want, I don't want to cut you yeah, off. I, I,
1: I, because I like being an operator, getting things done by David Allen, I think is, is such a great framework for staying organized and how to manage to do's and not to do's and and to create some structures. So for me as a as a manager, that's been a really helpful tool to come back to. So right. and is, is is really changed the way I
0: I looked at my workday. All right. Getting things done and why startups fail, the two recommendations on resources and starting your own seagrass nursery with the proper genetics. That's going to be a new company. And hopefully, whoever starts that company is going to come on the show in the future and look forward to you becoming at least a customer of theirs and maybe even an acquirer. So, Chris, it's really great to talk with you. Congratulations on the new role as CEO of ReefGen. Obviously, we're going to be hoping very hard that you guys are able to scale up quickly and get your robots out into many, many oceans so we can try to undo at least some of the damage that humanity has caused to the blue parts of our planet. So thanks so much, and we will be rooting for your success. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it useful. And if you did, please let the world know. Leave the show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with your friends. Who knows? Maybe you'll inspire one of them to be in the business of doing good themselves.